SoCal Summer Swing Out podcast. It is my honor to welcome our guest today, Sarah Sertel. She's a dear friend of mine. Hello, friend. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. Before we hopped on, we were talking about how much we missed each other because it's been it's been a minute since we've seen each other, eh? Been a minute. Like Dayton Smackdown 2022, I feel like, or something. My goodness. Yeah, that was that was a long, long time ago. Um, for for those who don't know those, Sarah, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, where you dance and stuff? Yeah. Hi, I'm Sarah. I dance Lindy Hop, obviously. I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana for right now. And I teach a lot around those areas, um, like the colleges nearby and stuff. I'm also a strength coach, so I coach strength training online. And I have a lot of fun just teaching movement in all forms. Yeah, and for those who don't know, uh, the way that Sarah, Sarah and I know each other, we go way back. But I used to live, I used to live in Indiana, and so we would hang at times. And I was also one of her clients when I was out there in Indiana during COVID. So we'll talk about that uh, a little later on. However, I want to say that at, from the outside looking in, I've always appreciated seeing how much work and effort you're putting into the college scenes in Indiana, because there's not really people that are doing it here and seeing you have a heart for that. I just want to point out how, how cool that is and how much I appreciate seeing that. I really love it. I, I mean, like, obviously I grew up in a college scene mm -hmm. and um, with my job flexibility, I am able to drive. Cause I mean, like I, it's very valid for people who like work a nine to five job to not want to drive an hour and a half to one of the nearby colleges or anything like that. But mm -hmm. I have a little bit more flexibility and it's just so much fun. Um, <laughs> like it just has like very different vibes from just a scene, like a city scene. And I really love encouraging like all these like 18, 19, 20 year olds like I once was uh, that Lindy mm. Hop is a thing and that they can dance and like find a community. It makes me so happy. Oh my goodness. And college scenes too, because they, it's really special when you start in a college scene because you're with that group for a good amount of time, which mm -hmm. actually is a great segue into how you start dancing. Now I know, but for <laughs> our listeners who don't know, can you explain uh, how you started dancing and that, that couple, that really, really cool, awesome couple that kind of brought you into it? Absolutely. So I started dancing in college. I went to the Cleveland Institute of Art, which was super small and had like 500 kids, but the college next door, Case Western, um, mm -hmm. I essentially just like glommed on to all of their people and activities and stuff. And so my sophomore year, I had a friend who asked me to go with her to a dance lesson. And I said, sure, why not? Okay. Uh, not really expecting much to come of it. So my first lesson, we learned a swing out. And then my second lesson, I learned some Charleston. And I was just like, okay. I had literal zero dance experience when I went to this class. And so mm -hmm. the third lesson was an advanced lesson. So people were learning, but I stayed and just like talked to people. And the two people teaching who were kind of running the scene at that point were Heather and Brian. They're my mm. swing mommy and daddy. And um, I think they live in Colorado still now at this mm -hmm. point. Um, but um, they just made me feel super welcome as well as the other people in the club. And so I wasn't sold on the dancing part of it yet, but I was like, these people are kind of cool. 
I, you know, as like a college student, you're kind of like looking for friend groups and this and that. And so I decided I liked the people enough to come back. And, and here I am over a decade later, um, still dancing and everything. So um, it was really just like that group of people and how nice they were and welcoming. And I decided to stick with dancing. Oh yeah. And Heather, we love Heather. Heather and Brian are amazing humans. And Heather was the one who originally pointed out that I needed to dance with Andre because they had already <laughs> they already knew each other. And um I was still like new baby dancer. And so Heather and Brian were like, Oh, you gotta go dance with this person and this person and this person. And one of those people was Andre. Mm, yeah, what well, was was this that Cleveland Lindy exchange? Was that it? I don't think I think it was even before that. It might have been like Sparks. Sparks or SmackDown or something. One of those yeah. events, like it was definitely within like my first like six or so months of dancing. So, mm, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I think it's kind of crazy too. Things that your friend was like, "Hey, you want to go to a swing dance lesson with me?" And then you met all these wonderful people, which eventually led you to what you're doing now. I think that's mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, the I mean, that's part of what I love about it so much is the the community and like the network of people you meet by going to events and. Uh, just like it's it's like a weird worldwide subculture it is it's a small one now with that small culture though I imagine that your progression in dance and like how you went from just starting out with Brian and Heather grew exponentially with the travel that you were doing at the time yeah yeah I was really lucky growing up as a dancer in Cleveland because Cleveland was super close driving distance to Pittsburgh, Columbus, um, Indy kind of was starting to get a little farther away, Dayton, mm -hmm. Cincinnati, like all of these little scenes. Um, and at that point, there were still a lot of like small co like college events or like small town events and exchanges and stuff. And so, um, you know, you pack a car full of people, you buy a bunch of food to make it really cheap for the weekend. And it's like perfect, like um, perfect storm of like what a college student wants. I know exactly all your friends together you go and meet other people from other colleges too that was a huge mm -hmm. thing in, in the midwest like college scenes knowing other college scenes yeah as the Purdue and IU scenes have been rebuilding here in Indiana it has been so much fun watching them all become friends with each other uh -huh. I love it because the Purdue scene has still had like quite a few people around post-pandemic but the IU scene like essentially like full restarted, like mm. began from literal zero. And mm -hmm. so watching all of these new people get into it and rebuild the scene and then also like work together to rebuild scenes. It's, and like they come to dances in Indy and like they're all friends and I, it's such a huge part of it. It was a huge part when I was in college. Oh yeah, for sure. Walk me through, walk me through your dance journey up until now because you started six months, you traveled a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. walk me through like where your dance progressed and maybe like some of the things that really made an impact on you, whether an event, people, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, obviously dancing in Cleveland was um, where I started. And mm -hmm. um, I also started teaching after like a year, um, which was ridiculous. It's ridiculous <laughs> to think that in college scenes, you know, you dance for one year and then you start teaching other people how to dance. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started teaching there and then also in the Cleveland scene for the couple of years I was there, um, once I got good enough to kind of get the hang of everything, traveled a bunch, 
Um, I did study abroad in New Zealand for a semester, for, so I was there for like six months or so, and mm-hmm. I did a lot of dancing there. I really uh, like connected with the dancers because like that's what I do when I travel now. It's just like you have <laughs> you can like have people to go like not that you're necessarily going to become like lifelong friends with them or anything, but you have at least something like an activity to do when you visit a new city or move to a new city. And so I did a lot of dancing. They did a lot of dancing in bars in the Wellington scene. And so um, I loved it. I loved that vibe of like, you know, you have like this much space to dance and mm-hmm. um, and you make it work to whatever live band was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I feel like as far as like dancing more, um, like getting in like dancing in different places to different tempos and different styles. I really got a lot of that there in New Zealand, um, Mm -hmm. which was about a year or so after I started. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, I got back and I started teaching a lot. And um, let's see, 2014, I moved to Colorado because I graduated college. Um, Mm -hmm. And that Colorado had the benefit of like the scene itself was like much higher level than I was used to, even though I was farther away from a lot of other scenes. So I didn't travel anywhere near as much, but there were a lot more opportunities like in Denver itself and Boulder. So I moved there and I started dancing a bunch in Denver um, and Boulder. And then I started, I moved up to Boulder to be way more involved with running Boulder Swing Dance um, mm-hmm. and helped run that a lot. And I taught a lot there. And I mean, like for a while there, I was teaching like four or five nights a week, I think. Um, yeah. And I just... I was super busy and there was like a lot of other stuff going on, but the teaching part, I was having the time of my life doing it, <laughs> like building scenes. And then I moved to Indy in 2018 and mm-hmm. got involved in the dancing around there, especially the colleges. And I've been here teaching and dancing ever since. That's, that's, there's so many different directions I could go. <laughs> I do, I do want to say that. I remember when you went to New Zealand and you spoke so highly of the scene. You're the second person who's traveled there who I've talked to. You said it is one of the friendliest, best community-oriented scenes ever. Can you, if any of any listeners are planning to go to New Zealand, can you tell us what it was like and uh, potentially any people to reach out to or places to go? Well, I don't, I know a lot's changed because that was, Ah. Over 10 years ago at this point, it seems like a different lifetime ago. Um, so mm. I know I know different people have gone off in different directions. Um, when I was, what event was it? Um, it might've been a couple of years later at Frankie 100, a bunch of people I knew from New Zealand were there. And I was like, hey, Auckland dancers. And they're like, actually we live in Australia now. Um, oh. And so like different people have moved around. Um, and the Australian scenes have like, they've got some like, incredible stuff going on um Mm -hmm. so a lot of New Zealand dancers moved there to get more serious about their dancing which I totally understand Mm -hmm. um but I know like different people have started different scenes when I was there there was like little bits going on in some of the other cities um aside from Auckland and and Wellington the two biggest cities Mm -hmm. um but I think a lot of those have gotten a little bit more of a stronghold and have become more active and um so I mean all you have to do is google like Lindy Hop plus whatever city you want to, whatever city you want to dance in, and you'll you'll find stuff. There, mm. there's, I feel like there's like a lot more going on than even when I was there. Mm. It's growing mm. a lot. I can, I can, ima- I can imagine. And 
that wasn't the only place that you traveled to internationally, right? Because you also went to Harang at one point, yeah? I didn't go to Harang. I went in the dark part of the year. Oh, I went to Snowball. That's um, it, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, my teaching partner, Anthony, at the time, and I um, did Daniel and Osa's teaching workshop for the mm -hmm. four days. And so it was like January, like second through fifth or something like that. Um, and so we decided to make it a whole big trip. And so we went to Snowball first um, and then and danced there. So I danced for like a million hours a day till like 5 a.m. every day. I, it was incredible. It was probably some of the best dancing I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. And then went straight into the teaching workshop. So it was just like two weeks filled with like only Lindy Hop. I danced for like a million days straight and it, it was an incredible experience. Just like I, I, it changed the way I dance and teach for sure. I remember you being very specific about your time overseas because it had a profound impact on your swing dancing. Because you said the way that the Swedes dance really spoke to you and really like mm -hmm. empowered you yeah 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 um and like the things that we talked about within that teaching workshop so not just like how we dance but also how i could better explain things to my students like all all of that just made a massive impact on me how what are some of like the key points that you took from that some of like the key things that really struck you um, well, I kind of learned that I was um, like Daniel and Osa's little like dance teaching like brand baby or something because they worked a lot with Mandy Gould in Toronto, who then mm -hmm. worked a lot with Krister, who then moved to Boulder and um, took over Boulder Swing. And then he was my mentor to like become the teacher I am today, essentially. And mm -hmm. so... It was like through that chain. So the way that I was already teaching was very in line with how they thought about dance. And so it was a very easy, like, essentially just taking it to the next level, like deepening my understanding of like why I teach the way I teach and why it works and like why I adhere to it so much. Or like we used to call it drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> but like essentially just like reaffirmed like why I teach the way I teach and um yeah, just like a different way of introducing people to dance. Yeah, and I do want to talk a bit more about your teaching style because I know that that's something really important to you. One of the whenever I think of you and your teaching style, I always remember uh, follow autonomy and follow voice. And so I I was curious if someone, let's say someone in the Midwest is listen to this podcast if they were to take one of your classes what could they expect what are some themes that would pop up um always follow our autonomy like <laughs> just i i mean i taught a workshop um in cincinnati a couple months ago and even just at one point i just explicitly said like followers you are allowed to change things like you are allowed to do something different than just the move that is being led and just, I like, I felt like I saw like light bulbs, like all of the followers eyes like lit up. They were just like, I can do stuff. Like <laughs> it just like, I, I love it. I mean, like there's different ways to empower leaders as well, of course, but like empowering the people who sometimes like growing up as a dancer, like I got a lot of like, sometimes it was just 
followers just follow and things like Mm -hmm. that from other workshops and stuff. And it was Heather, I think a lot of who told me that like things could be different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like being able to give my students the permission to do something different. And that's baked into like my beginner classes as well. Like from the beginning, it's just like followers, you have the permission to do something different. And if you choose to do that, you're not back leading or messing up the leader or anything. You're contributing your voice to the conversation Mm. Um, because a conversation isn't a monologue. Like it's not just one person talking. It's not just the leader leading all of the moves. It's the follower gets a voice as well and is allowed to say things in a way that they want to. Oh my gosh. You know, I, this is a good time for me to tell you that I took a page out of your book because yeah. I went and taught a series in San Diego and I used that exact phrase. It was, we, it was a follow focused lesson and we focused on follower autonomy and I mentioned followers, you have a voice that you can contribute. Leads, you have to effing listen to what mm-hmm. the follower is trying to say. And so that lesson was great because a lot of followers had that empowering moment. And I just remember thinking, mm, Sarah would be proud of us right now. I'm you so know. happy. I love um, that. Yeah, and I was going to say, did you learn that follower autonomy from your time in Snowball or how did that come about? Uh, I think it was a gradual process. Mm-hmm. I think my experiences like learning how to teach a little bit differently how we did in boulder really like as i got more comfortable with that and my own teaching and everything it started to really solidify like how i feel about that and how i mean there have been so many times there was a time at an event where i literally moved myself to avoid colliding with someone and therefore messing up the leader's move um, which could have been a variation or some other way, like even mm-hmm. if I wasn't colliding with someone and he got mad at me for, he uh. was like, I was doing, so I was taking care of it. And I was like, but I have, I am a person, I have a body mm. and I, I am allowed to like move, make, make movements for myself. And mm. so I think a big part of it, like experiences like that. And then like learning how to teach in a way that was more follower focused or gave the follower more then more of a job than just follow or like mm-hmm. more instruction more things um like it really solidified like how I, important it was to me um mm-hmm. and how not necessarily common it was in other scenes like I feel like it got there eventually and so like well now you're an advanced enough dancer to be able to do this versus just from the very beginning you are always allowed to do this and I think that mm-hmm. was the big switch for me is just realizing that like that is a thing you can always do. Like you don't have to be an advanced dancer to have a a voice. You can be a beginner dancer and still have a voice and still do stuff. It may not come out in the same way, but you're still allowed to have it. That is, that experience that you talked about is, I feel like pretty common because when falls take a class, uh, so Matt, Richie and Natalia are very big on teaching about like follower autonomy and followers having a voice. And I've talked to some followers where they said, oh, I've, t- I've taken a voice in the past, but those leads just didn't like it. Or they said, oh, that wasn't what I led or something like that. And I feel like that's so unfortunate because leads are so used to like, oh, I, I do the thing versus mm-hmm. followers 
understanding that followers also have a voice and listening to their lead you know mm -hmm. how would how have you found is like one of the best ways to respond or approach a situation if you're having a voice as a follow and the lead pushes back in some way um maybe i don't dance with them again <laughs> That's um i i think sometimes it, depending on how someone learns if a leader isn't taught to listen for that then mm -hmm. of course it's going to throw someone off when they're like oh you didn't you didn't do the thing like you know if you teach very pattern based and like this is you do this move and this move and this move and this move then when someone deviates from that pattern it's going to throw you off so i mm -hmm. think it's a valid response if and like don't be rude about it of course yeah. um, but uh -huh. like if someone's not being a jerk like it's i think it's a big learning opportunity um just like knowing that that's a thing and sometimes the leaders need to listen uh, to the followers like we you switch roles for a little bit when the follower wants to speak then the leader becomes the person listening for a while um and especially like if you don't do both roles that can be a really disorienting and new experience especially like depending on how new you are as a dancer and so i think like explaining like oh yeah you know if someone's just like stop back leading or something then i'm just gonna be like wow that was kind of a jerk move so i'm gonna go over here and dance with these people who don't shame me for having a voice but if someone genuinely wants to learn using it as an opportunity to be like oh yeah followers can do stuff like this it's super cool and maybe having that's a good prompt to have a class about that or something or have a a, a series about how followers can do things like that so it can give you a lot of information about like where your scene is in terms of that and ideas for future lessons. Yeah, if you are a lead listening to it, definitely take that to heart is the fact that yes, we are leads, but we are also, I feel like part of leading is listening to your follow and following. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Because one of the reasons why I love dancing with you is because you have I would say you have a fierce voice. That's what I would use. And like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm saying that in like the, the most badass sense because I know that a side pass isn't just gonna be a side pass or a tuck turn isn't just gonna be a tuck turn. You're gonna take that and embody it and make it so much more beautiful to the point where sometimes I get distracted because I'm like, that was really effing cool. And I just like sit there and watch. I'm like, oh shit, I need to rush that follow up. Oh crap, we're still dancing. <laughs> Which like it happens to me less now, but I definitely remember dancing and being like, oh damn, she's doing such cool shit. And like, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a, do you remember the blue pants that you had? Yeah. <laughs> I, I bring it up to anyone who knows Sarah. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I used to have this pair. I've never been able to find another pair, but they were these like bright blue linen pants and I loved mm -hmm. them and they were cool. So I liked like temperature wise, like cool because they were linen. So I loved dancing in them. Yeah. And they were, I remember them specifically because first of all, they were cool pants, right? But right. when, when you would do like a kickball change and the bottoms would flare, I remember and that like sticks in my mind. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's such, that's such a, a cool thing. Anyways, it was, was so long ago. Those pants, unfortunately, if you dance in linen pants enough times, um, they weren't expensive or anything. Then they mm. start to like literally disintegrate. <laughs> so yeah, 
the the wonderful blue linen pants are no longer but I, they died mm. like a long time ago unfortunately well so they sad. are i think they're commemorated in like a picture of you anna and i dancing yeah, yeah. which that's 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 one of my favorite memories but the whole reason why I brought that up was because of follower autonomy and how how badass and how empowering that is for followers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, like it it helps like inspire both of you too. Like if you do a footwork variation, then I can play off of it and then you can play off of it. And then it's it goes from moves to actually like being that conversation and being that dance. And it's so inspiring. Yes, I will. Yeah, I fully agree there. I do have a question for you in regards to teaching that because mm -hmm. I have found that I got really lucky when I taught in San Diego and everyone was receptive to it. But as a teacher, as a very good teacher, I should add, um, how do you approach teaching it in a way that allows several people access and how do you teach it in such a way that people are more receptive to it? Variations in conversation or? I would say, yes. I, in this case, I would say follower autonomy because there are some followers who are like, oh, I don't know what to do. I feel comfortable in my body. There are some leads who are like, ah, I don't like this idea, you know? Yeah. I think I approach it very differently depending on whether it's a one-off class somewhere I don't teach very often or whether it's somewhere I teach all the time. Uh, like, for example, at IU, I teach there every week um, for the semester. So I have the mm -hmm. whole semester to just, like, give them all my dance, like, ideas and stuff. And so yeah. we start from, like, literally within the first couple classes is building the fact that the follower has autonomy and that it's very okay to do different things from your partner. Um, mm -hmm. Rhythm variations, um, solo jazz. Uh, and they might be super uncomfortable, but if you build the environment where they can like feel safe to explore and try things and mm. be a little weird, I literally say that in my classes. I'm like, you can get weird with it. Like, that's okay. Like, and so you give them that space to explore and then also like drip in like solo jazz moves and different rhythms and things. So like, even from those first couple of classes, they're already getting used to the idea that followers have autonomy and some of the tools of like what to do when they have it like mm. it's messy and kind of all over the place and like a little chaotic mm. I love that part of it but like eventually that turns into like oh yeah I'll, like this variation and that variation or oh like we're walking around now I can do camel walks or something like this or or shorty George so like it gets there eventually like if you start with the idea and then you can put it just add more more and more like tools that they can use for it uh whereas it's if it's a scene that i don't teach in very often or like it's a workshop in a random city that I, i'm not part of or if it's like a one-off like month-long series in like indie or something like that mm -hmm. then you i feel like you have to spend a lot of time giving permission and space and tools so you start with like very basic tools like you have this space here is a tool to put in that space so it's mm -hmm. like one thing one thing to like implement and then you can kind of grow from there so then you put on well you could also use this tool do this in this space 
Well, actually with this tool, here's another space you can put it in. So now you've got two spaces and two different things you can do in it. Like it's mm. got to start somewhere. And so if mm -hmm. you start, like you can just break it down. Like musicality doesn't have to be like, oh, well you should know all these solo jazz moves now put them in your dancing. It can be a structured, like put this one thing here, try mm -hmm. see how that feels. Okay, now try putting it here. Okay, and well, now that you've got these couple spaces to put it, now try to put it in other spaces. So you can kind of like push people into it a little bit the whole while while like building that space uh, where people feel comfortable experimenting and trying things. And over the course of like a month or a couple hours or something like that, you can you can create that space. I think that's so cool that you foster that safe environment for students, because especially in college when students are still really discovering who they are. I feel mm -hmm. like that in tandem with learning a new dance really helps them make them feel secure. Um, and I, I, I would, yeah, that's what you want for people to feel secure. That's what you mentioned. Yeah. I just want people to come and have fun and like learn to move their bodies. And like, there's a lot more to Lindy Hop, of course, than just having fun. But like, I think it's a good space to start to like make people feel welcome and like, help them build a community of people, especially in the college scenes where they're still looking. Mm -hmm. And with Lindy Hop and just moving your body in general, now, I because I know you, I know that you approach movement very specifically just due to the nature of your work, right? Mm -hmm. How have you found like personal training uh, in connection to Lindy Hop? How has that kind of been married and paired together for you? Well, I started strength training after I had been dancing. It was in Colorado, so maybe like four years or so. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't originally just find strength training. I was just like, oh, I need to do this gym thing. And um, but like I saw I had always been told that like core training and like fitness in general would help you become a better dancer. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that I will do someday. But then like I kept seeing videos of like people doing things and I'm like, oh, I can't do that. Like doing like moves where they like squat a little bit or like go down or like do something. And I'm just like, wow, I don't have enough strength to do that. And so then once I found the strength training, it became very obvious that like it did help a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think they, they kind of inform each other because like there's a lot of things in strength training that carry through to Lindy Hop as far as like, how I move. I definitely mm -hmm. think with the strength training, already knowing how to dance and like being at that at that time, like at least decently aware of what my body was doing um, helped me a lot with the strength training, which then, because I was focusing on like specific movements and specific like muscles getting strengthened, then helped me move more intentionally in Lindy Hop. So they kind of then fed each other and like I was getting stronger and dancing better. And like they kept kind of like, helping each other level up um just yeah a big part of it was just being aware of like where is my body moving where is it going because like mm -hmm. if you're deadlifting and your arms like way out here then something's gonna go wonky so just being intentional about like where are your feet going where is what direction is your body moving are you twisting are you bending yeah I hear you and I want to talk about that a bit more because you have an Instagram account that I, I have I have used in the past to uh, help myself, but 
let, let, let's chat about that a bit more. So I want to pick up on where we're talking about your Instagram account, because you have, for those who don't know, Sarah has this amazing Instagram account where she asks people to just take a, a pause and do a movement. What do you call it? Uh, movement Monday. Movement Monday. And she'll, I remember because we went on a hike and you did it. She'll walk on, she'll wave, and then she'll do a movement, which it, it, sometimes it's jazz related. Yeah. Yeah. I started last year. I started doing more jazz related stuff because there's only so many stretches that you can show mm -hmm. so I switched it to be a bit more a more of a uh, dance related thing yeah and so where do you come up with these different movements like uh is it to help is it prevention work is it strength work or wh where does that source of that movement come from um a lot of it is that just we as a society don't move enough or mm. depending on like your job and everything don't even move a lot like mm -hmm. you know if you work out three times a week but you have a desk job you're sitting at your job you're sitting at home those couple hours that you're working out during the week isn't really enough to combat that mm -hmm. and so like you're doing the strength training and like the cardio or whatever and that's super amazing but also just like putting more intentional movement throughout the day like are you changing the way you sit at work are you getting up for like five minute movement breaks every hour or so like are you standing and walking and just doing other things more than just sitting and like a gym workout or something and so mm -hmm. I started the Monday movement stuff as more of a like just try this little, a little movement snack um, yeah just to like like you snack food throughout the day you can do little movement snacks too just to like get your body moving a little bit more and uh, that's a big prevention thing um, and just a big health thing. Like the more you move, it's been tied to like living longer and just being more mobile for longer and bat better balance, like all sorts of things like that. Yeah. And so a lot of swing dancers, we tend to be engineers or whatever people that in front of computers. So if you were talking to an engineer or someone who typically works a nine to five in front of a computer, can you walk us through like what you would suggest to do in order to not be as, um, just to have more movement and more quality of movement as dancers? What would you suggest we do? Yeah, uh, at work specifically, um, I think it's something that could help you move more. Like a lot of people do the standing desk, uh, mm. which helps you like move and shift a little bit more. Um, I've always wanted a like little treadmill desk thing. So you like put the treadmill into your desk and you can walk while you're working. I know that mm -hmm. super doesn't work for everybody. Um, or like sitting on an exercise ball as a chair or they have all those chairs now that um, you can change positions. So you uh -huh. can sit cross-legged for a while and then you can sit with like your leg up and then you can sit every like things that just get you out of the like, just like sitting in a chair, legs down, um, sort of stance so it just changes up how you're sitting um or like I, people who work from home will like sit on the floor or like change from like the couch to a table to then to something else um also if you can just get up and move a little bit you know if you can if you're in an office or something or if you can go outside for like a couple minutes during your break um just anything that gets you up and moving more and then at home just changing how you know, if you just go home and like sit on your couch and watch TV or something like 
add in a walk or just as some way of moving, like go dancing. Yeah. Something that helps you get more movement into your life in general. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so if I sit at a desk all day, just move in general will definitely help. Mm-hmm. Now, because I am, SoCal now knows me as like the resident guy who gets injured all the time. Oh, and no. It's, no. I know it's, it's kind of, it's kind of sad, but I was curious, what are some things you would suggest dancers do to prevent injury? Um, strength training is a big part of that, mm-hmm. which I mean, like, yes, I'm biased, of course, because I'm a strength coach, but there's also a lot of studies. Um, strength training not only strengthens your muscles, but it also strengthens your joints, which we use a lot when we're dancing, yeah. um, like, sh- like shoulders and hips and knees and feet. Um, like depending on how you dance or like, if you're, if you're not super conscious about where you're putting your foot or something like you can, or if you get turned weird by someone who's like super tense, you know, wrenching your shoulder, like things like that are things that can happen. But if you strengthen your, your joints with strength training, then it's less likely to happen, or you can engage the muscles better to like Mm -hmm. prevent something from happening. Also just like proprioception being aware of where your body is and how it's moving so that if you get in an uncomfortable position you're more likely to recognize it and change it mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. so when we do strength training um first of all i would like to make a personal plug for sarah because i was one of her clients um and this was when i was starting to i was just starting to get back into swing dancing during the pandemic right mm-hmm. And so you've helped me a lot. You, you are, you're still very, um, it's not dumbbell. It's the, the big kettlebell. weighted kettlebell. You're very big on kettlebell still, yeah? Yeah. Um, but essentially walk us through what it looks like to be one of, to like have you as a coach. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess this wouldn't be surprising after like everything we've talked about so far. But um, the specialization that I have as far as training goes um, is putting more movement in strength training. Mm. So their whole idea, the, the whole philosophy of the, the company is that they want you to be like farm strong. Like, you know, if you strength train in a gym, a lot of the exercises move front and back. And there's not a lot of like sideways movement or twisting or turning or anything like that. But we twist and turn and bend and move all sorts of ways in real life, especially dancing, like mm-hmm. in dancing, you're like doing some sort of weird position or something. And yeah. so basic strength training is good and it's always going to help, but also training the ways that you move in real life, make you even stronger in those movements. Um, and so the specialization that I have helps is like specifically for helping people move better for longer. Um, and so that's the way I train. So like we start off with all the basics like how to squat, how to deadlift and making sure that it, we make those movements comfortable for your body. And mm-hmm. then we start to go into like, let's add some power to it. Let's add some rotation to it. Let's add some like sideways movement and bending in different ways so that we strengthen like all of the ways you move instead mm-hmm. of like just the one thing. Because a big thing in strength training is um, principle of specificity. So the way you train is like 
what you train is going to get strong. So it, if you train squats, that's amazing. Um, and that's a great start. But if you train like lateral lunges that go side to side, then you're also going to get strength. You're also going to get strong in that way too. Whereas if you just train the squats, your squats are going to be really strong, but moving sideways isn't going to be. So if you move sideways, you're going to be more prone to injury because you haven't trained that direction. Right. And dancing goes all over the place and you're stepping all sorts of ways and twisting and rotating and stuff. And so if you can train all of those ways, then you're less likely to encounter injuries when you do get into those positions. So when I hear you speaking, I hear functional strengthening and functional movement. So being able to do things in your daily life and dancing as opposed to like just the, exactly. Yeah. Now yeah. when, when you do work with Sarah, uh, note that Sarah is also very kind, but if you mess up like I did when I was doing deadlifts incorrectly and tweaked my back and knew that I had to text her, she was very firm and saying, okay, thanks for telling me you're not moving for the next couple of days. And we're going to teach you how to do a proper deadlift in the future, which now I know how to do a proper deadlift and I haven't gotten injured since, which by the way, thank you again for calling me out and being kind of me on that one. <laughs> um, the goal is so, to not get injured. That is More dancing, that is, less injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I, I am, I'm trying to work on that. So here's another question. What about at dances? When you're at dances, do you want to stretch before and after, or what would you suggest as like a strength trainer and slash body movement guru? Yeah. Um, there's always the big debate about whether you should do like active warm-ups or passive or just like sit and stretch. Um, I'm a big fan of active warm-ups. So, uh -huh. you know, warming up, I, I, I use solo jazz moves to warm up in my classes um, because not only does it help people actually like warm their bodies up and but it also gets them in a, a like jazz mindset mm -hmm. um but like a warm-up can just like help loosen up the muscles depending on what movements you're doing like shimmies for your shoulders and things like that um mm -hmm. depending on like past like injury history and things like that like some people really do need to sit and stretch for a few minutes before dances um I'm also a really big fan of mobility movements. So like Ooh. warming up your shoulders, warming up your hips, um, like warming up your ankles. Cause a lot of that's also going to affect your knees as well. So like warming mm -hmm. up those joints intentionally before you start dancing can help a lot. Um, like I always feel like I dance better after I've warmed up my hips. Mm. I don't always do it, but if I, when I do, I feel better. Um, <laughs> and then afterwards, like doing some of those same things. Like if you feel, like going back to the hips and joints and just making sure that they feel good. Yeah, it's so hard to do at a dance because the minute you walk in, the music's playing, you're seeing your friends like, oh, I want to dance. And it it's so hard to just take like one song and just stretch or do active, active warm-ups beforehand. Um, what about, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I've heard it from both sides. Some people say like, it should be included in classes like the first five minutes of a class should be or there should be like five minutes beforehand should be like stretching and warming up but then other people are like well it's it's a dance class like people have like can be responsible for themselves and do it like before they get there or like come a little early before class so like i hear both sides of it mm. um, and i don't really know if there's like i don't think there's any necessarily like perfect solution 
Yeah, one hundred percent not. What about after a dance? Uh, yeah, I think it could work. Um, if there's not like a, I feel like a lot of dances end when people need to get out, and mm-hmm. so, like you know, you're just like, oh man, I can't dance anymore. All right, shoes go home. Um, but I think it would be cool if it was a more normalized, like let's cool down our bodies together or something. I so agree. I think it would be so cool to go to a dance and they they end like four minutes early and then they play one song. It's like a stretching song that everyone just stretches you. How great would that be? That could be cool. Like a lead stretching class. I just did a little bit at a, uh, we did a Balboa workshop here in Indy. And altogether, oh. if you were doing both parts, it was four hours of Balboa, which oh, is a lot. And so just like, if you're not used to doing Balboa, like I just, you can especially feel it like in your calves and your hips and stuff. And so I did a, in between the two ser- like um, classes, I did a little bit of a, it was just a little bit, but just did a little bit of stretching, like let's stretch our hips and things like that, just to get a little bit in there before doing yet another two hours of Balboa. And I, I, I don't know if people thought that helped or not, but it at least got people stretching, even if they weren't following me. And just like taking care of their bodies a little bit better. I do have to say, when I was working with you, I went from being like sedentary and not moving at all to you. I felt more comfortable with my swing outs and I felt stronger in my legs. So I, I very much, I still do the uh, farmer carry that you taught me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still do those um, when I do work so out, good. which is never, but when. <laughs> uh- uh, I know, I know, I know. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Now, I am, I am, I am curious though because there might be some dancers who are listening. They're like, "Oh, how do I? What kind of strength training exercise should I do to perform better or be more functional in dancing?" Do you have like one or two, maybe three exercises that you would suggest just holistically for dancers, just to make them stronger? Yeah, um, I think a big, a big part of how I train is training like how the body moves versus mm-hmm. like an exercise. Like you can think of something as like a bicep exercise, like very muscle-based. I think of it more in terms of like movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the core movements that you really want to, to train that our bodies do, um, a squat, which is gonna be a lot of lower body, a hinge, which again is like a lot of like glutes, hamstrings, um, lower back, sometimes like your full back, depending on how you're doing things. So that hinging motion mm-hmm. uh, of a deadlift um, and then pushes and pulls, like pushing things like a push up or a press, pulling things like a row or think of a pull up. All of those include lots of different muscles and get them all working together to help you move. And so like, you don't necessarily like push and pull during a dance, but those pushes and pulls are gonna help stabilize your shoulders so that when you're turning yourself or leading someone in a turn or something, your shoulder is gonna be much more secure and safe in this position than Mm -hmm. if you don't train those pushes and pulls. So I'm a big fan of like, you know, you can build a whole workout, do like one hinge movement, like a deadlift, one squat movement, one push, one pull, and then like something for your core. And like, that's like a full body workout. Like maybe even split that up even into two days. Mm, yeah, because I remember that hinge, like at the top of the the deadlift, you, you like squeeze your glutes to like put your hip forward. You were mm-hmm. the first person I learned that from and that changed everything. Yeah. Same, 
same with that uh, push motion, because you mentioned to, it should be a full body. I thought it was just an arm thing, but you're like, no, it's a full body thing. Your core should be engaged, your back should be touching the floor. And I remember this like it was yesterday, because then I went from just doing arms to then you said, okay, now do it with this, this, this. And I would do it and I'm like, oh my God, this is so much more, like I feel so much more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's like a big part of what crosses over to dancing as well. Like doing strength movements that engage your whole body. Like obviously you can't dance with like part of your body. Like when you're dancing, your arms are moving, your legs are moving, your core is connecting, like you're literally connecting to another person. Um, mm -hmm. And so like teaching your body how to work together is like a huge crossover with all of that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm, I'm curious because for me, I, I wanted, I, I know a lot of dancers talk about legs and how dancing is a lot of legs, right? And you had me, uh, legs and core, I should say, you had me do that thing with the kettlebell where you're kneeling and you're doing the turns with the kettlebells. Mm -hmm. How did you, so that works with the core, right? Mm -hmm. What other like exercises like that could some dancers do at home to help with their core? Um, I think even just like you, you can use any weights. It doesn't have to be kettlebells or anything, but just the holding a weight a lot of times is a core exercise. Um, you can do things like hollow holds. So you lay on your back and then you essentially like, it's not a crunch or anything, but you're trying to like make yourself into like kind of a boat shape. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that, uh, that takes a lot of effort. <laughs> so things like that, like even just holding, um, if you do, it's called like a bear position. So your hands and knees and feet are on the ground, like on all fours, but then you pull mm -hmm. your knees off of the ground. And even like, if you don't move and you just hold that there, like that's a core exercise, especially if you think about engaging your core um, as you're doing it, like you're, you're going to be sweating after like a little bit, um, just because even though you're not moving, like just that, that like act of like bracing in your core and just like holding that there, like it, that um, that definitely strengthens. Um, you don't want to just focus on ab exercises. So abs are like what you work when you do crunches or anything. And that is one part of your core, but mm -hmm. you've got like all of the other muscles um, in your core as well. So you want to make sure you're training, look into like different core muscles and make sure you're training all of them um, versus like just doing crunches or, or like sit-ups or something like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's definitely good. I'm mainly asking for me so that I know. Like, uh -huh. I'm sure, I'm sure the list. Do you want are... a list? Like, hey, you should do this and this and this and this. Um, but I, I highly recommend anyone to reach out to Sarah. She knows her shit, obviously, you know. And, um, but I think that that is going to help out a lot of people. Now, before we start heading towards like the closing part of the episode i was curious is there anything that you wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about yet or anything you want to chat about i think so i mean we covered a lot like dance and strength training are probably the two biggest things in my life and we we talked a lot about both of them so mm. and if you are one of my one of the listeners listening from the midwest i highly hope that you run into sarah dance with her or take a lesson because Sarah is absolutely phenomenal. I'm very biased because she is one of my favorite humans. But I do have to say, any chance you will have to get with him. So uh, now let's go into the wrapping up 
part of our episode. So the first question that I like to ask my listeners is, seeing all the amazing content that we talked about, the strength training, dancing and all that, I'm curious if I, if people are trying to find out more information about you, maybe your website, Instagram or anything, how would they find that? Yeah, um, I am very blessed with a super, super uncommon last name. So that's kind of the basis of how you can find me because there is literally only one Sarah Sertle. And so my Instagram is sarah.sertle. Uh, you can find me there. I post lots of fitness stuff. Um, my website is sertle.com. Um, <laughs> trying to make it as easy as possible to find me. Um, uh -huh. So it's S-I-E-R-T-L-E dot um, com. And there's going to be a new website soon and it's going to look really Ooh. cool. Um, it's not quite ready yet. It's going to take a little bit longer, but um, it'll have like all the information and all the different ways you can train with me. Um, and there's free stuff you can download too. Like I have a free accountability group to help you stick to your workouts. Um, so it's like, if you already have a workout plan, you're just struggling to actually get it done the accountability group is kind of where you want to be just like that little poke of like, have you done your workouts yet? <laughs> Which I'm, I'm saying that to you too, Andrea. <laughs> I'm hiding right now. I'm hiding. <laughs> but it comes from a, a perspective of like, there's no shame if you do miss workouts, you know, like if other things, like sometimes life is just life, you know? So mm -hmm. like, I'm very, I like shaming people for not working out is not the way to get people to work out. Like, so that's okay. not, it's not okay. totally at you, but. No, 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 you're, 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 you're absolutely, you're absolutely right though, because <laughs> I do, I'm pretty sure there are, I may have plantar fasciitis, but I'm sure there are some things I can Aww. do now to like still work through it. Um, okay. Now all of this information is going to be down in the details. If you're watching us on spot, if you're listening to us on Spotify or watching on YouTube, just check the description. All the links will be there. Um, now, the next question I ask is travel related. So you've traveled all over the world for dancing. So I'm curious, mm -hmm. in the next year, where can where can people run into you? I am not traveling a whole lot at the particular moment. Mm -hmm. um, I So I started West Coast dancing last year, uh, which Ooh. is super fun. Um, I'm really enjoying it. So I'm going to be at a West Coast event in June, um, a smaller one. And um, I was thinking about Uptown Swing Out, but it's already sold out. So uh, I think that's a probably not. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll be going to Cincy Hop in Cincinnati if you want to go to that. It's a fun little exchange and probably one of the friendliest events I have ever been to. Mm -hmm. um, even before I knew anybody there. Because I, I went like two weeks after I moved back to Indy and I didn't know anybody. And everyone was just super nice. And I was like, I like these people. Um, and I love the Cincy scene. Um, so those are the only, probably the definites. Um, I find that things just kind of randomly pop up and I'm like, oh yes, going to that. So it's a little more impulse. Um, if you're curious, you can always like shoot me a message or something and just ask where I'm going to be. I'm all, I'm, you can find me around Indiana though, for sure. Mm, mm, okay. And I will, I will say a big shout out to the 513 Cincy scene, because I love, I loved dancing since now when I was in the Midwest. Shout out to Brian Sykes. Love you, buddy. <laughs> all right. Uh, so the last question I ask, which is a question I ask all of my guests, is what is, in like two to three minutes, what's a message you would love to leave to all Lindy Hoppers that are listening? I mean, we covered a lot of the follower autonomy stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Just like 
that everybody in the dance has a voice, um, which is super important to me, but also just don't be afraid to explore and try things. Um, like I think a lot of the messaging we get about variation, rhythm variations, follower autonomy, things like that, is that they're all, oh, you'll learn those in a couple of years when you're a more advanced dancer, or this is an advanced concept. And it doesn't have to be. Like, uh, just, I think the message I wanna leave with is that all of these can be presented to people who are newer as well. And mm -hmm. that like rhythm variations and like listening to the music and things are like a core part of Lindy Hop. Like it's not just about the moves, it's about all of the things that you do with the moves and the ways you explore with them and change with them. And it doesn't have to be an advanced concept either. Um, that mm. everyone can explore together. Everyone can explore together. That's beautiful. <laughs> wonderful. What a wonderful way to end the podcast. But okay. Well, uh, Sarah, you wonderful human. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. You are amazing. Everyone check out uh, her website and uh, her Instagram and stuff down in the details. <laughs> if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on YouTube as well as follow us on Spotify or any other uh, podcast platforms that you are on. We really appreciate you all being here. Thank you all so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. No problem. Everyone else, I'll see you later. Thank you so much for lending us your ears on the SoCal Summer Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Spotify, and subscribe to us on YouTube. We're looking forward to putting out some great episodes for you, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.